All right, we are in part two of our series, Mind Games. Sue did a great job of, of introducing this concept to us last week, the fact that we are actually living in a war. There is a battle that is going on. There is a battle that is raging for our minds. And as much as this might not sound like good news, I, I need to get your attention by, by helping us realize that we are actually in a war. There, there is actually a war that is on for our lives, and for the most part, I believe, that genuinely comes through our minds. There is a war that is raging for your identity, for your sense of purpose, for your relationships, and, and trying to rob you of meaningful relationships, um, just, just your purpose and calling. Um, and, and I will constantly remind us that, that we have an enemy who doesn't just want to make us bad, that's, that's like, that's like a, a, an extra added bonus, I think, if he can make you bad. He just wants to keep you distracted. He wants to keep you distracted from the life that Jesus actually died to, to empower us to live. Not a self-centered life, but a life that actually has security in God and identity in God, purpose, meaning, and a life that is fruitful, where, where we are actually experiencing his love and joy and peace in our lives, in our relationships, where, where we are breaking the patterns of uh, destructive habits that have been formed over the generations before us, and where we set a new trajectory for the generations that are coming after us. There is a battle on for our lives. We have an enemy. Again, I realize this isn't great news for us. But if we don't recognize this, I think that we're in danger of living unprotected, where we are vulnerable to attack. I think that people in general, and even Christians in particular, have often fallen into one of two extremes. Please, 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 pay attention to these two extremes. The one is to deny that the devil exists altogether, and the other is to see his activity behind everything. So when your toast burns, it was the devil. No, it really wasn't. Or, or you know, when, you, when you're wrestling over, over, over thoughts or feelings, it's not always, so, so, so they're, they're two extremes. And somehow we need to recognize that yes, there is an enemy, but, but to be honest with you, I think, it's, I think most of the time he is acting far more subtly than what we realize. Like it's seldom blatant. It's generally, it's little, it's little, uh, uh, look, I think on a macro scale, I think he does everything he can to influence media and, and the world of information because, because that's what we meditate on most of the time. And then we wonder why we're not encouraged enough as Christians when 99% of our worldview is being fed to us through mass media. And then we wonder why we don't have a different worldview towards people that don't have a relationship with God. Well, so yes, I think, I think that, 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 that he, and when I say he, just so you know, when I say he, I'm actually referring to kind of like his dominion. Okay, I know these are very uncomfortable words for us, but, but, but I wanna just quickly point out that the, that the devil is one person. He can only be in one place at one time. He's not God. He's not, he's, he's not on the same playing field. He's a created being. Like, it's not like a neck and neck fight. It's not like Jesus is intimidated. No, no, God is everywhere all at once and can do everything. He's all powerful, all knowing. Satan's one, so, so please understand that if you ever actually think that it's him that's doing the attacking, like you gotta be doing something pretty significant for the God. But, but having said that, he does rule over, I'm, I'm thinking billions of demons. But God's ruling over 
at least twice as many. Anyway, that's, that's a whole other story. What, what I'm wanting us to understand is not to give him, is not to give him unnecessary attention, not him and, his, him and his minions, not to, and not to be intimidated by that, but, but also not to be, not to be naive, not to, not to just leave ourselves to vulnerability where, you see, because I think he's patient. He's in it for the long game. Like, like, if he can just slowly but surely chip away at your identity, slowly but surely chip away at your sense of purpose, slowly but surely take away a sense of, of agency, so where, where he just slowly but surely convinces you that you're helpless and that you can't change certain things in your life. I think he's, I think he's very patient. I think, I think he's in it for the long con. I think, and I say this carefully, I think that sometimes the enemy is far more intentional about our lives than what we are. I think that the enemy, our enemies, I think that sometimes they are far more aware of how much our lives matter than what we are. How much your relationships matter. How much us persevering through storms and discouragements and doubts, how much that matters. I think that they are far more aware than what we are. 1 Peter 5 verse 10 says, stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And by the way, I think that some of the most vulnerable people to his devouring are people that are isolated, people that are trying to do life alone, people that are trying to, to serve God alone and walk with God alone. I don't think he attacks the weakest sheep, I think he attacks the most isolated sheep. The weakest sheep surrounded by, by, by people that have each other's backs is very hard to, to ultimately uh, discourage and distract. His primary tactic, in my opinion, is deception. His primary tactic is deception. And again, it's not like, it's not like ludicrous lies, it's subtle lies. It's little doubts, it's little questions. This is Jesus speaking. His words are recorded in John chapter 8, verse 44, the second half of the verse, where he says, when he, he's speaking about Satan. When he lies, he speaks his native language. Like, that's the only language he knows. Like, he can't speak truth, okay? When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar, and he is the father of lies. Now, I think that his lies cover a variety of areas, but just a few that I want to remind you of are areas like doubt and distraction and discouragement. Again, it's not always blatant. It's often subtle. Think about doubt. When, when he came to Eve... He didn't attack her with some kind of like tangible weapon. He didn't like give her cancer. He didn't, no, no, it was just, he just sowed a seed of doubt. In Genesis 3 verse one, the serpent was the shrewdest of all wild animals the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, did God really say? Think about how often, even if not that same language is being used, think about how often that same question is being asked though subconsciously, subtly. Like did, like, did God really say that about relationships, about marriage, about generosity? Did God really say that about, about living a life of, of purpose? Did, did God, like aren't we really just animals deep down and can't we just do it? Did God really say? And the reality is that God didn't say that. If you know scripture and you go back to the chapter before that, Genesis 2 verse 16 says that the Lord God warned him, you may freely eat the fruit of every tree in the garden except one tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, if you eat its fruit, you are sure 
to die. Just doubt. He just sows little, did God really say that you can't eat of any of the trees in the garden? And it kind of makes Eve think. And she forgets that looking back, no, actually he said we can eat of all the trees, excepting one. I think another tactic of his deception is distraction. Just to, just to keep us distracted with busyness, with entertainment, with insecurities uh, that drives kind of like a self-obsession and self-protection. Anything that'll keep us away from the path that God has for us. I, I think the distraction of, of, of directing our hope and identity in, in some form of success as though that's gonna bring us hope and peace and joy. When God tells us, no, no, actually we can find hope and peace. And, in fact, hope and peace and joy are, are fruits of just being in a relationship with him. You don't have to wait until you're 40 or 50 or 60 or 70 and have some, some tangible thing to, to feel hopeful about. No, no, you can actually find hope today. We can find joy today before circumstances change. We can find peace today. But if he can distract us with, with a sense of, like, you know, that, that, that ache, in, like, that'll be satisfied if, fill in the blank. Doubt, distraction, and discouragement. I don't think you've lived very long if you haven't had seasons of discouragement. And that can, that can be towards any number of areas, from, from your career to your level of education to your relationships to, to, to your financial security. Like, it is so easy to just sow seeds of discouragement. And some of you heard me quote Howard Henricks before where he says that discouragement is the anesthetic the devil uses on a person just before he reaches in and carves out his heart. Discouragement has a way of numbing us. Like, like we just feel so numb. We, we are anesthetized towards him being able to actually rob us of God's plan, God's best. He is a deceiver. He is the accuser. He is the father of all lies. Now, now, I think that his most powerful uh, lies are, are where there's an element of truth in it. Think about it. Think about how discouraging it is when you are reminded of something that is true. So, so maybe you did do something. Maybe there is something that you regret. But the difference is that guilt or conviction is what we feel about something we did. And in a godly sense, it should move us to wanting to do something about it. That's what repentance is. We change direction, we go the opposite direction. But shame is when it now defines who we are. So we've all got stuff to feel guilty about. We've all got things that we've done, but because of what Jesus has done, we can actually find forgiveness and we can learn from it and we can try again. But the enemy wants to make you feel ashamed and discouraged. Remember, Satan knows your name, but wants to call you by your shame, whereas Jesus knows your shame, but calls you by your name. We have an enemy who wants to deceive us. And this matters because he knows, perhaps more than what a lot of us do, that if he can change your thinking, he can change your life. If he can change your thinking, he can change your life. If he can convince you that you're helpless, that you're a victim, that, that there's nothing that you can, can do about it. If he can convince you that you're inferior, if he can convince you that you are superior, if he can convince you that you are unwanted or unloved, think about how he can rob you of the plan that God has 
for your life. Craig Rochelle, in his book, Winning the War in Your Mind, is that correct? Says it this way, our lives are moving in the direction of our strongest thoughts. Our lives are moving in the direction of our strongest thoughts. And this is true. This is why, by the way, maybe you've heard this kind of like cliche statement that believe you can, believe you can't, both ways you're right. Now that's maybe a little bit oversimplified and, and, and maybe that's not, like, I, I, that, that's not theological, but I think that there's more truth in that than what we realize. So for example, on an extreme, okay, I, I can't win the 100 meter sprint at the next Olympic Games just because I, I kind of really believe it. Okay, so, so there are certain limitations. I can't fly if I jump overboard. Okay, but, but, if, I, but if, I, if I believe that God wants to bless my marriage, and that no matter what, what we have or haven't done, no matter what's happened before the generations or not, no, no matter how different, if I believe that God wants to bless my marriage and that God gives me the will and the power to do what pleases him and that he can transform me into the kind of husband he wants me to be or the kind of father, if I believe that and I, and I persevere with that and I continue to move in that direction, chances are I'm gonna have what others might think is a blessed marriage. If I, am, if I believe though, and, and if I kind of, kind of allow little dis distractions to keep sinking in that, that you know, everyone in my family and, and for generations have gotten divorced, we're so different, um, like I'm not, I, don't feel, I don't feel happy right now, and you know what, I actually, think, I actually think Sue's pretty selfish, and you know what, I've tried, I've put in my effort, I'm a bit of a jerk too, I'm never gonna change. If I'm gonna keep believing little, little tidbits of lies, chances are my marriage is not gonna look blessed. But it's not out of our control. If I believe that I am undisciplined, that I have no self-control, that, that, that I cannot form habits that are gonna lead to life, well, then I'm probably not going to change anything. If I believe that with God's help, I can slowly but surely create new pathways in my brain, uh, create new habits that are gonna produce fruit eventually. If I believe that to my core, if I allow that to become something that I believe to my bones, chances are I'm going to form the kinds of habits that are gonna lead to life. For the most part, our lives are moving in the direction of our strongest thoughts. We have to fight back. At least if you wanna save your life. I mean, you don't have to. But then, but, then, but then at least at least then acknowledge that I'm not willing to fight for my life. At least acknowledge that you are believing that you're helpless, that you have absolutely no agency, that God cannot make a difference, that his Holy Spirit cannot, like at least one way or another, I wanna encourage you through this series to, to recognize what you believe or are trying to believe. So, so if you're gonna give up, then just then at least have the integrity to own that. But if you believe that there actually is still hope with God, however dysfunctional, however broken your past, however hard it may be, however you think you're doing compared to other people, if you believe that with God it is possible to sow the right seeds and eventually re, uh, uh, reap the right harvest, if you believe that, then let's do something about it. Let's be intentional. Let's, let's not just hope. No, no, let's, let's do something. Let's renew our minds. We have to fight back because according to scripture, I believe that he tries to put us into some form of captivity that is not built with brick and mortar. They are literally, your prison can literally be built with lies. 
It is, it is, it is an intangible, immaterial wall of deception, a prison gate of deception. It is locked with a key that is a lie. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse three, this is one of the early church leaders, Paul the Apostle, writing to the Corinthians, and he says, for though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. Now again, if many of us are honest, we'd say, actually, we wage war exactly the way the world does. They're ugly to me, I'd try and double down and be twice as ugly back. They're gonna, I'm go okay, he says, no, 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 we don't do it as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world, on the contrary, Please, don't miss this last sentence. They have divine power to demolish strongholds. Divine power to demolish strongholds. That word demolish is translated into English as the word demolish, but it, it is translated from the Greek word kathirio, which simply means destruction requiring massive power. So it's not gonna be simple. It may actually require effort to lower with violence, to bring something down with brute strength as with a wrecking ball. Has anyone been traumatized by the idea of thinking of a wrecking ball by Miley Cyrus and her terrible song a few years ago? Okay, okay, I'm not alone. Get that out of your mind. So, so we, have to bring this, we have to bring these walls down. So to, in order to demolish the stuff that's keeping us captive, it's gonna require some strength. And the word stronghold, which is okuroma in Greek, means to fortify. So, so it's to actually build a fortress. It's a building or a fortress built on top of the highest peak in a city. This citadel was surrounded by a reinforced wall up to 20 feet thick. So if, if, if an army was attacking, the, the, the important people in the city would run up to, to this fortified place because it was strong. But it was, it, in this context, he's saying that, that the lies that we have believed the lies that we have accepted have actually become strongholds in our lives and they hold us strong. Lies that can only be demolished with truth. How do we, how do we tear down these walls that are keeping us from God's peace and purposes? Well, this was largely addressed last week when Sue spoke about how we win the war in our minds or for our minds when we recognize the lie so, so unless we recognize it, we don't know what to do about anything in our life. So we need to actually recognize the lie, which sometimes is harder than we think. We have to replace it with truth and we have to repeat the truth. We have to recognize the lie, replace it with truth, and then what I'm wanting us to kind of focus on in the few minutes that we have remaining is this idea that we have to repeat the truth. And this is why, the big idea for me today, if you, if you forget everything else that I say, is simply this, repetition reinforces the rewiring. Repetition reinforces rewiring. So many of us, even, even those of you that, that, that come to church regularly, we, we hear something, we like it, we agree with it, but we don't hear it again the next week and the next week, and, we, and we're not focusing on it day in and day out. We're not meditating on a truth that needs to change our lives 365 days a week, and so that's why it doesn't change until we hear it again three years later, and we're like, oh yeah, that's right, there is hope. Oh yeah, that's right, actually I can have a, a healthier mind or a healthier relationship or a healthier because we just keep moving on to the next idea, and the next idea, and the next idea, instead of actually meditating on, 
repeating a truth that we are needing to focus on. And, and one of the other challenges is not to try and focus on 27 different truths that you wish that you could change right now, but to actually identify one. Yeah. One that is gonna set off a chain reaction. One that might have a domino effect and then slowly but surely bring, bring a little bit more hope into other areas. What is, what is one of the most significant areas in your life where you have allowed yourself to believe a lie, even subtly, so that we can recognize that, replace it with truth, and then actually memorize scripture, repeat it, declare it, day in and day out. For example, someone who has subtly believed the lie that you are helpless. My grandfather was an alcoholic, my father was an alcoholic, I struggle with alcohol, chances are my kids are gonna, I, like we can't help it, no, no, to feel helpless is, okay, okay, I think I've believed the lie that I'm helpless in this area, or I'm helpless with my temper, or I'm helpless with, with, with my porn addiction, or I'm helpless with, fill in the blank. Okay, I've, I think I've believed the lie. Okay, the truth is, I think, I think, I think there's a part of me that's saying to me, I think the truth is that God can actually give me the desire and the power, because that's in scripture, by the way, in Philippians chapter two. He can actually give me the, the will and the power to do what pleases him. Whew, doesn't feel like that right now, but I, th I think that's the truth. And then you find a scripture that you, can, that you can base that on. You take a look at Galatians 6 verse 7, that God will not be mocked, that we will reap what we sow. And he goes on in verse 9 to say that if we don't grow weary in sowing, if we don't grow weary in doing good, we will reap a harvest in the proper season. Okay, 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 okay. I think I'm believing the lie. Okay, I guess this is the truth. This is a good scripture, sounds nice. But now through repetition, you start chewing on, meditating on, and allowing yourself to actually let the truth of these words sink into your bones to where you are convinced. Again, I think of someone like Mark who we're interviewing next Sunday night. And how, and how you, I think Mark 61, 62, very healthy, very adventurous guy. He's the type of guy that, that did the epic with broken ribs and then broke his finger and then broke his collarbone, but like begged them to let him finish the epic. Like he's that kind of guy, okay? But, but he's the kind of guy that, that no matter what he's gone through, he is convinced to his bones of what Romans 8, 28 says, that God will cause all things to work together for good. He's not, he's, not, he's not distracted and confused by, I don't know what that's gonna look like today. I don't know if that means that I will definitely be healed. It doesn't, I, I don't know... If, how long that means he'll allow me to live. I don't know if I'll get everything that I'd like to see happen, but he is convinced to his core because of decades of seeing God prove his word. He's convinced that even when it's a mystery, even when there's confusion, even when there's doubt, he's convinced that God will cause all things to work together for good because, because he has meditated on that passage. There's a picture that we have um, that apparently uh, appears in Alaska. There's kind of like one month of the year where it's summer, and so enough of the, the, the ice melts so that, so that like, you actually land up driving in a rut. And, in the, and the sign says to choose your rut carefully because you're gonna be in it for the next 60 miles, which is roughly 100 kilometers. Okay, those of you that have been with us to Zambia, you know, you know what it's like to get into the rut of, of some of those, sand, those sandy path roads you know, in, the, in, in the villages. Like it's hard to get out of that rut. But the reality is that our brain, 
neuroscientists will call them neural pathways. They have been laid, they have been created. And we're stuck in a rut unless we, unless we put in brute strength to changing that rut. Unless we allow God to transform us by the renewing of our minds. That's what Romans 12 verse two talks about. Let God transform you by renewing your mind. Renewing, it's an ongoing process. Every single one of us, there isn't a single person that is watching this online, listening to this podcast, or, or that is here in person that is not experiencing the life that we have built by what we believe. We are all living the life for better and for worse based on the thoughts that we have sown, what we have believed. Right now, we are all experiencing the life that is based on the ruts, and a rut doesn't have to be a bad thing. Like, a rut can be a good thing. Um, I'd like the, the train to stay on the rails, you know, so, so, so there, there's some good ruts. Um, we are all experiencing the result of what we have allowed to be reinforced in our minds. Think about how a baby from the youngest age realizes that, that, that when they smile or make a certain sound, the, the, the face changes on their parent, like, ha, ha, like, so cute. Oh, okay, so when I do that, I get the, ha, 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 so cute. So every time they smile. Or, or as the child gets a little bit older and wants that sucker, they, they ask for the sucker. Dad says no. They cry. Dad says yes. They realize dad's the sucker. And so anytime I cry, I'm going to get something. I'm going to get what I want. And then when they're 23, we're trying to change that behavior, but the rut has been formed over 23 years, and it's hard to change unless we allow God to transform us by the renewing of our minds. Philippians 4 verse 8 says, and now dear brothers and sisters, one final thing, fix, anchor, attach yourself to something that is immovable, like get stuck. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. We need to repeat the truth. It is not just gonna change because we've read it once, because we like it, no, no. It's gonna change because we are meditating on. In fact, Eugene Peterson's message paraphrase um, uses the word meditating instead of the word fix. Meditate on what is true. Please, can, I think sometimes we settle for such a cheap Christianity. I think sometimes, we, again, and it's, and it's a level, it's, it's a type of victim mentality. Well, okay, pray for me. Okay, your prayer didn't work. Okay, you, okay, okay, Ivan. Ivan's anointed, Ivan's a godly guy. Ivan, you pray for me, okay. It's not working. And, and we want these quick fixes. We want these silver bullets and short, nah, nah, nah. Please, 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 please. Do not misunderstand me. We need prayer. Please, we need prayer. But it's not a magical prayer. It's not superstition. It's, it's God, would you, would, you, would you give them hope? God, would you help them to see what they can do and motivate them to 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 persevere with it, and God, would you look after what they can't do? Would you inspire? Would you protect? Would you help? Would you, would, would you bring the right people around them? It's that kind of prayer that doesn't, that doesn't remove you from the responsibility that you have. There are things that, that, that only God can do that we can't do, and there are things that only we can do that God won't do for us. Yeah. It's called agency. There's a level of responsibility. Yeah. Repetition reinforces the rewiring. Can I get you to repeat that after me? Repetition 
reinforces the rewiring. One more time. Repetition reinforces the rewiring. We do need to rewire our brains. Not in every area, but, 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 but my hope, sincerely, my hope is that even as I've been talking, that there's something that is coming to your mind where the, where the Holy Spirit is whispering to you, that's been a lie. Your self-image, what you see when you look in the mirror, the perception of, of, of what you think other people think, that's a lie. Or even where, and, or even where the Holy Spirit's saying, like, okay, someone might think that. That's not what God thinks. You are who God says you are. We need to identify the lie. We need to replace it with truth. And then we need to repeat the truth. I wanna give you a quick example. There are some little pieces of card under your chair. Won't you please grab that very quickly? Hopefully it's under your chair. If not, you can grab from the chair next to you and get into a fight and uh, we'll hopefully get it on camera. Uh, but make sure that you have a little form that, that has simply got the words lie, truth, scripture, and declaration. We're wanting to recognize the lie, replace it with truth, memorize the scripture. Please, guys, it doesn't help us just to hear it once in a while. No, no. We need to memorize scripture. Not 45,000, no, no, just for now. I want, I'm, I'm inviting you to try and memorize one scripture and then to write a declaration. Our goal is that by the end of the series, which is only a couple of weeks longer, that, that you will actually have something that is typed out or written out that you will commit to, to reading. So you're repeating it, you're meditating it, maybe you're even declaring it out loud and saying, God, please, by your power, with your strength, would you help me? Maybe you're sharing it with someone that you trust, someone that's safe. And to, and to actually do that for like 30 days or 60 days where you renew your mind. So let me give you a couple of examples. And again, I'm, I'm not asking you to, to tackle multiple areas. I'm asking you to go and think about maybe one area. Although I'd love it. I'd love it if there's one area already that you can think of. For, do we have pens under all the chairs, by the way? Okay, great. You guys are amazing. It's gonna be amazing. Um, so, so already, if you have an idea of what that is, you can maybe even write that down now in terms of what, what, you, what you think the lie is. Your truth, it doesn't have to be a statement that's gonna get published, okay? And it doesn't have to be like straight from scripture. Maybe it's just, it's just a sense that you think God would give you in terms of, okay, that's a lie. Actually, this is the truth. So you feel, you feel ultimately unworthy, unloved. No, no, you are loved. You are wanted. You were, you were chosen. You're not an accident. It, it could be something as simple as that. I want, to, I want to give you just a couple of very quick examples. And for those of you that have the YouVersion Bible app on your phone, which is free, by the way, they're celebrating recently 500 million downloads on devices. So it's just, it's just one of the most incredible things in, in church history. These guys have made the Bible available in almost every language in the world for free into our pockets. So, so, our, so we have a bunch of these scriptures as examples on our YouVersion notes from today. But remember, you're gonna have to save them. But let me give an example, just very quickly, and then we're going to wrap up. Let's say, for example, you are struggling with being discouraged. The lie that you believe is that one, one way or another, whatever iteration you believe in, that ultimately things are never going to change. You've tried for decades, it hasn't changed, it's never ultimately going to change. The truth, for example, is that I am not a slave to sin. God gives me the will and the desire to do what is pleasing to him. 
The scripture that you might want to memorize is what I read earlier, Galatians 6, verse 7 and 9. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. This is, this is just one of script, many scriptures that, that, that are in my bones. Like, I believe this. When there are times where you, where you feel like you're working hard and you're putting effort in and you're investing in people and, you, and you're trying to do what you think is right and you're not seeing the results for it, I, I remind myself that, the, that Scripture says that God will not be mocked, that I will reap what I sow. It doesn't say that I'll reap where I sow. So even if I'm not seeing the results where I'm putting the effort in, no, no, you will reap what you sow. That encourages me. And then it reminds me of verse nine that I need to persevere. Don't grow weary in doing good. That encourages me. A declaration could be, I trust God, full stop. I will reap what I sow. I am resilient. I have patience. I will not give up doing good. I will reap the right harvest at the proper time. That's just an example of recognizing a lie, replacing it with truth, Deciding on a scripture, and, and as Sue mentioned last week, you can, you can Google, be very, very careful, but you can Google scriptures discouragement, or scriptures fear, or scriptures finances, or scripture, you know, you can Google that stuff and chances are you'll find some good stuff. Another example very quickly, let's say you're battling temptation. Let's say you've been struggling with a recurring area of, of sin, and, and, and we just feel like you're falling over and over again. The lie is that you're helpless. We're all animals. You may not use that language, but, but deep down there's a sense of, I have no agency, I'm, I'm helpless. The truth is that Jesus' death set me free from bondage to sin. I'm no, spiritually speaking, I'm no longer a slave to sin. Psychologically, I may be stuck in a habit loop, but, but it's not out of my control. If it was spiritual, if it was a curse, then, I'm, then it's out of my control. And God's saying, no, no, if you're, if, you, if you're a child of God, if you've turned to me, if you're trying to serve me and follow me, you're, that's broken, you're set free. So now, I can help you change the habit loop. The scripture, for example, just a couple of scriptures. Romans 8 verse 12 says, therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. I mean, I'm, I'm gonna give you three examples, but that, that could be it. You just, you just write down Romans 8 verse 12. You, you find a version that makes sense to you. You write it out. You read it. You declare it. You repeat it. You find it, write it, repeat it. Declare, you carry on. Repetition reinforces the rewiring. Or, this is something that, this is, a, this is a passage that has helped shape my life in my battle against sin. 1 Corinthians 10 verse 13 says, and God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. Now, I know some of us don't believe that, but that's scripture. And if you think that, that God is putting you in a situation that you can't stand, I would, I would argue that you might need to reconsider whether it's God that's put you there or have you put you there. Because I can put myself in a situation that God started doing the <coughs> thing long ago. I ignored the <coughs> and now I'm there. And I'm like, God, save He's like, like I'm trying. When you're tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. Please, I'm, I don't mean any of this as, as whimsically as what I might be coming across. I'm saying that, that this is a passage that I've had to remember over, personally, over and over and over again. When I feel a little bit helpless, when I, when I, when I get frustrated and hot full of, of, of struggling with the same thing, no, 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 God is faithful. He does show me a way out. I, I may ignore it, I, I know better, I can't blame God. No, no, God will help me. 
One more passage, Galatians 5 verse 22 says, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Okay, okay, I'm struggling with this recurring thing right now, but the Holy Spirit is in me if I'm in a relation with God, and one of the fruit is self, he will help me. So find a scripture, a declaration there might be, I am not helpless. God will always show me a way out. The Holy Spirit lives in me and helps me. I will not give up. And however discouraged you might feel, however often you may still be struggling with it, you you keep coming back to, no, no, I'm not helpless. With God, all things are possible. And, and you start applying God's principles of community and confession and, and asking people to help, to help support you through prayer and, account, and accountability. And, and before you know it, you're turning around a year from now and it's like, hmm, I, there's been progress. There's been some change. There are a whole bunch of other examples. There are a bunch of scriptures in the notes that I'm not gonna get to. Let me, let me wrap up with this. And Sharice, you can come up because I think, I think that whether or not whether or not we use this language. I do think that one of the greatest lies that the enemy would want to whisper to us is that in one way or another, you're unlovable. Unlovable or not quite worthy, not quite wanted, and by the way, some of you have experienced stuff in your life that, that reinforces that tangibly, like in front of you, where people that matter have, have reinforced that narrative. They've reinforced that lie so powerfully. You compare yourself to others because again, guys, this is all learned behavior. We, we, we subconsciously see how people respond to other people and how they respond to us and they don't seem to respond to us like this, so maybe I'm just too different or maybe I'm fill in the blank. And slowly but surely, Slowly but surely, it affects our identity. If you've done freedom with us, the freedom curriculum and encounter, you you may have heard us make the statement that it's not so much about our issues, it's about our identity. If if the enemy can attack your identity, he can cause whatever issues. But when we have a healthy, accurate identity in God. When, when we allow God to, to actually remind us that you are loved, you are wanted, you are noticed, you matter. I'm just telling you, that changes everything else. That breathes life into everything else. So if that's something that you're needing to meditate on, I wanna give you a couple of scriptures. Romans 5 verse eight says, but God, I always love it when there's a but and then God. It's like, yeah, 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 yeah. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. So long before you try to get your act together. No, no, he, he, he cannot love you more. He cannot love you less. Or Romans 8 verse 15. So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba Father, which is like dad, papa, whatever your culture would use for for an affectionate, secure term for a father. In other words, he's saying you're not orphans. Because legally speaking, someone that's adopted is not an orphan. 
biologically, historically, sure. But, but, you, but, but you're now, you're a part of that family. You are a son. You are a daughter. Psalm 139, verse 13 and 14 says, For you created my inmost being. In other words, you're not an accident. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. When, when you think of some of your differences that people maybe don't like, God, is it possible that maybe that's part of the wonderful? Is that part of your creativity that I'm not meant to be a copy and paste version of everybody else? Your works are wonderful. And I know that full well. And last scripture, Hebrews 4 verse 16. In fact, let me get you to stand as I declare this over you. Again, this isn't hype. These aren't my words. This is scripture. This is the holy word of God. It says, so let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. Maybe you're needing a little bit of grace today. Maybe you're needing a little bit of mercy Maybe, maybe you're, you're listening to some of these comments and thinking like, like I've tried and I've failed. It's not that I don't know, it's just, ugh. and you're needing mercy. You're needing grace. Is it possible that when God looks at you that maybe there isn't actually a scowl on his face? Is, is it possible? I, I'm just asking, is it possible that when he looks at you that there isn't actually a look of disappointment? Is it possible that when he looks at you that he's not actually comparing you to your brother or sister or friend or enemy? I don't understand these things. I don't know how God can look at billions of people and love us as much as he does, but I can see the evidence of that. And I, and I think that for many of you as you're standing here today, you can sense the evidence of that. So can I invite you just to close your eyes for a few moments? Can I ask you before you do anything else, just to ask God, just in your own mind, you can just whisper to yourself, well, you know, to God, but in your own mind. God, would you give me a sense of the look on your face right now as you're looking at me? As you're doing that, I wanna encourage you that maybe there is a battle going on in your mind right now to imagine whether that is positive or negative, the look on his face. I, I, wanna, I wanna encourage you, I wanna, I wanna propose that it's possible that God is actually looking at you with love. Every correction comes from love. Every invitation comes from love. Because he is love. Father, please, in Jesus' name, would you help us to discern anything that you're trying to bring to our attention? Lord, would you help us to discern where, where there is particularly a meaningful lie that we've been accepting? Maybe it's very subtle, maybe, maybe it wouldn't be hectic to someone else, but, but we know that it's actually slowly but surely taking us off course one degree at a time. Help us to recognize it, help us to replace it, God, would you please help us to find a life-giving scripture that is relevant to that? 
God, we don't, we don't want to twist Scripture. We don't, we don't, we don't want to manipulate Scripture. No, help us to find a, a passage of Scripture that is accurate, that is appropriate to that lie. And God, would you help us to actually put effort in as we write it down, as we repeat it, as we go back to it again and again, and, and not, not, not out of superstition, not, not out of feeling a sense of 100% control, but God, out of a response to your principle of allowing you to transform us by the renewing of our minds. God, we need our minds renewed. Boy, do we need our minds renewed. Help us to fight the good fight. Help us to, help us to take the battle seriously. Not to be discouraged, not to be intimidated, not to, not, to, not to feel insecure in terms of whose side we're on and who's way more powerful. No, no, we, we, we're on your side. You're on ours, more importantly. You have the power. But we have a responsibility to persevere. Help us to do what we can. Help us to trust you to do what only you can do. In Jesus' name I pray. And everyone said... Amen.